Job 1. I'm going to talk to you about matters related to your family lineage. And while the servant was still speaking, another servant came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And we've all been witnesses in the last few weeks of watching those horrific tornadoes sweep across the plains and uh, go through Oklahoma ravishing and damaging and pillaging homes and families and leaving so many in difficult times. I'm grateful for Convoy of Hope. They're the first there. They're the ones distributing food and water, clothes, shelter, comforting people, not just with words, but in deeds. And in time of great stress, we're grateful we partner with people who make a difference. And uh, there are other institutions that likewise make a difference. Their overhead is a much higher percentage. In other words, much comes off the top of your giving in those organizations as compared to Convoy of Hope. So we're grateful because these are tragic moments, and Job himself experienced them. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, fell to the ground and did what? Worshipped. It's an amazing response to this tragedy. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Well, Father, thank you for this truth. Thank you for the promises. And let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart Be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. So let truth bring forth fruit because we have heard it, seen it, experienced it, and then transitioned it into action. In Jesus' name, amen. God wants to assure you today he intends to break Satan's stronghold on your bloodline. And one of the reasons, one of the reasons family members in your Lineage are not yet born again. This is the trial of Job in one aspect of his trial. All ten of his children were lost at one time. They were gathered together, and out of nowhere, this tornado crushes the house that they were eating in. I don't know of any grief a dad or mom can endure more than to have a child of any age lost. That's a horrible grief. And nothing will keep you awake at night more than having a teen out all night. (laughs) You don't know where they are, what condition they are in. And throughout the Word of God, many a notable individual was troubled because of their children. Imagine Adam and Eve. They have two sons. They're the first humans. And Adam and Eve have two sons, and one of them murders the other one. And then the murderer is sent away as a wanderer, and they never got to see him again. Your Noah and your son Ham's son Canaan has a curse pronounced on him. And Canaan became the father of the Canaanites who occupied the regions of Sodom and Gomorrah and the sinful lifestyles of those occupants. When Esau, the son of Isaac, married... Look at the impact. When Esau was 40 years old, he took the wives of Judith, 
the daughter of Bari, the Hittite, and Bezmath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they were a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. Uh-oh. That didn't go over well. Why? He married outside of God's lineage. And the spiritual DNA was broken. Simeon and Levi's sister was raped. In retaliation, they go out and wipe an entire tribe of people out of existence. It's because someone was associated from that tribe with the rape of their sister. So then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, his sons, you have troubled me by making me obnoxious. And the word in the Hebrew is a stink among the inhabitants of the land. Sometimes you can have children who create a stink for you. Jacob said this about his son. You would bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. So David had a half-son who raped a family member. David had another son who attempted to overthrow him. There was the third son who died prematurely, and David said this about him. Should Abner die as a fool dies? Your hands were not bound, nor your feet put into fetters. In other words, you had a choice. You made the wrong one. Solomon's son, Rehoboam, split the kingdom in half. Whoa! So hear this. It's clear from Scripture. There are good people who produce children who are not that good. And there were some bad people who produce good children. And good children who produce some not-so-good children. And there's this interruptive DNA that gets hold of your family's lineage. It can be through generational sins, Familiar spirits who know well the lineage and history of the family and weaknesses may have happened generations ago. But that one child got mixed with that DNA and you wish it was never in your bloodline. If you have children serving God and they're filled with the Holy Spirit in the house of God together with you, that'll be one of the greatest blessings to you in your entire life. I can think of no greater blessing than that. If you've had to struggle with a child with addictions or rebelliousness, you understand the difficulties that that creates and generates. Some of you invited family members from time to time to accompany you to church to hear a special guest at a Christmas production to a special event, and you cannot get them to come to church. Well, for the next few minutes, I want to give you three reasons why people do not come to Jesus and lock down on his kingdom. And some of these you have never thought of before, and some of these will sound odd, but allow the Holy Spirit to reveal truth to you and grab hold of you so you can latch on to this. Number one, there are social reasons. We're going to start with the practical, because 70% of men in America do not own a suit. So Pastor Michael and I, Pastor Abe, many times it district office, we're the only ones with a tie on. I mean, it's like, really? 70% of men in America do not own a suit. In some places in America, for instance, the Southeast, in churches of every denomination, men traditionally would dress in a suit and tie to come to church. It was a part of the culture of the Southeast. And not only, listen, not only do 70% of men in America not own a suit, most men are not comfortable wearing a suit. And I I want to hear an amen here, guys, okay? 
And you can always tell the guys who rarely ever wear a suit, except on two occasions at a funeral or a wedding. Because when Billy Bob shows up in his suit, his pants are too small. His tie is about to here on his chest. And the sleeves of his coat are down to the fingertips on his jacket. And you can tell that's one guy who's not comfortable in a suit, let alone coming to church in one. You'd be surprised how people will say they don't come to church because they don't feel like they've got anything to wear to come to church. I've actually had people tell me, having invited them to come to church, I'd like to come and hear you preach, but I don't have anything to wear. Well, you've got clothes on now, okay? Right? I mean, you're dressed, but yes, it's church. Many people have this concept that you have to buy a suit to come to the house of God. Well, that's a traditional thing. And whether you buy into that tradition or not, it's between you and the Lord. But one of the reasons some men don't attend church, men in our culture don't always like to dress up. Number two, I'm talking about the unchurched. Men are not touchy-feely by nature. Some men have not been raised in homes where affection was demonstrated very often. Consequently, they don't know how to express affection well to their own spouse or to their children. So in a service when they can't just sit there and hear a message and get up and walk out, but in a church where someone will say once in a while, grab the hand of the person beside you, it can be an uncomfortable moment for some guys. Mm. It might take some getting used to. Some men are concerned that in church they might have to pray with people and get a little touchy-feely, and that's kind of not their culture. Number three, some family members won't come to church. They're not church. They don't know Jesus. It might seem like a silly or simple reason, just shyness, because 50% of American people consider themselves shy when it comes to meeting other people they don't know. Some people are not social by nature. Some prefer being alone for periods of time. Some are uncomfortable sitting in a row or around a table talking to people they don't know. And they don't know how to converse with people they have no history with. It's a form of social autism, actually. And they fear they might have to begin speaking to people they don't know anything about. So you might find some of them reluctant to come in, hang out in the courtyard. And some Christian men do this too. And they got to get shooed out of the lobby into the church itself because they're too busy talking about the ball game yesterday than they are talking about the things of the Lord. Or some women out of the lounge because I'm not talking about the Lord, they're yakety-yakking about, you know, some scrapbooking project they've got. Now, how come they're not talking about Jesus or speaking about the Word? They're talking about what they're comfortable talking about with other people. So three reasons, specifically for those who are not born again, not having the right clothing, fearful of social interaction, shy and reserved. Some people don't have good communication skills when it comes to beginning a conversation. So church, for some, scares them, intimidates them. And for those types of people who don't know the Lord, instead of trying to get them into church, which seems to be the cultural thing to do, you have to go to where they are. You have to go to where they are. And by the way, that's the New Testament model. That's the New Testament church. You have to say, for instance, we're going golfing. Would you like to join us? We're going hunting. Would you like to join us? We're having a barbecue. 
Would you like to bring your family and hang out with us? This is how the unchurched get to know the members of Calvary Christian Center before they ever step foot in the building. Many people want to know people before they ever come and sit down in a church. They want some kind of a connection, relationship. And that's why the body of Christ must take what you have outside of a church service. It's not to be confined in the building. God intended the body of Christ to be salt, light, and flavor, and brighten everywhere we are. So the unsaved, the unchurched, the person not born again, can struggle when you're hoping and praying the only way they're going to come to know Jesus is getting them somehow in the building to hear a preacher preach and hope he becomes responsible for getting them to Christ. When the whole body of Christ is responsible for getting your loved ones and friends to know who Jesus is. And there you can say amen. Because you are responsible. There are some neurological reasons some people never come to church. Really? Really. And you probably never heard a pastor stand up and tell you there are neurological reasons why some people never come to church. And this is the reason some people stay home and they just watch Christian television. They fear being in church because they, some, some of them suffer from a bipolar syndrome. Their personality is up one day and it's down the next, up one day, and it's difficult to know which person's going to show up on any given day. There's a release of too many chemicals into the body or, or, or not enough release of certain chemicals into the body, and, and they become difficult because they, don't know, they can't quite function without the right chemistry, because the brain uses four types of feel-good chemicals that helps balance who you are. And they're released by holding hands, kissing. Maybe that's why Paul said, greet the brethren with a holy kiss. I don't know. Intimate relations. No, because of affection. And by consuming chocolate. (laughs) Really? Chocolate releases endorphins into the body. That's why there's this t-shirt that says, I will sell my husband for chocolate. Okay? (laughs) So those individuals who feel good one day don't feel good the next day. It's difficult to get them in a frame of mind to just accept your invitation to show up for a church service. So these challenges play into preventing some people from getting connected to a church. And we must not fall back and default to this idea that that's where people get saved and only get saved and are born again. Because we have to be one-on-one with the people we say we love and care about and God's put in our pathway. One-on-one with them. There's also autism. Because one in 116 people suffer from some form of or degree of autism. Social autism is one of those, which is a milder form of autism. And even in the most mild form... It can cause a person to not feel comfortable in a church service because they'll say to you, I have difficulty reading someone's emotions. I can't tell when someone's looking at me if they're looking at me in anger or looking at me because they like something about me and I can't interpret that well. That's that person's trouble, the difficulty they have. And this person might also have highly sensitive ears. So when the audio gets above a certain decibel, they check out mentally. They tend to have one friend, 
and stick with that one friend. They're not into multiple friendships at once. They're not group people. So they stay away from larger crowds. And and, and if they do go to church, they tend to want to go to a church that's very, very, very laid back and very, very, very quiet. They tend not to like to socialize. The emotions coming from the brain don't track the same way, chemistry-wise, because they're the kind of people that might stay up all night and sleep all day. So the reaction to your invitation to Calvary Christian Center, I'm not going to go to that church. There's too many people in there. I don't want to be in a large crowd. I can't stand all the noise they make. It might not be their personality. It might be neurological. So hear me. Some people will not come to church just because you invite them. They may be battling some of these issues. That does not make them any less of a person. And they are not bad people. They need the love of Christ one-on-one from someone who says, I love the Lord, and that manifests in the way you care. There have been some world leaders who suffered from neurological challenges. There may be some now, I think, from what I'm watching on the news. So Calvary Christian Center, our attitude, we need you, family member, friend, close associate, we need you in Christ's body. We want you to be a part. We want to go together to God's house as family. But you will need to bring them to Jesus one-on-one first. Not drag them in here against their... and hope that something's going to happen in the building. For some, not coming to church is economic. Some people use this as an excuse. And let me say it right up front. Money can be used as an excuse by a person who is not born again or is born again related to coming to church. Because you'll hear this come out of both persuasions, born again, not born again, out of their mouths. All the church is after is your money. And that becomes an excuse for not hanging around the body of Christ. They don't want to be confronted at the tithe or the offering ministry time in the service. So they excuse, they have this excuse for not attending church and not giving because somehow, some way, they've got it in their thinking that that's the only reason the church exists. There are instances when the husband doesn't come to church, but the wife comes to church. And the husband who does not attend will often instruct the wife, don't pay a tithe, don't give a gift. Maybe there's a financial strain behind that. Sometimes there is. And there are some people, the economy has impacted them. And they don't have any extra money. So they don't go to church on Sunday. They can't afford it. So body of Christ, listen up. There are people in our fellowship who can afford to go by someone's home and pick them up and bring them with you because they can't afford it. Because they live between you and and the church building. So you go out of your way just a little bit while they're in this crisis, while they're in the middle of a difficulty, and hold them up until the crisis passes. Or you have them follow, follow you over to the gas station and fill their tank so that they can drive to church. Don't stay out of church because of an economic challenge. You may feel embarrassed, but this is what the body of Christ is here for. We are to love like Jesus. You get under the burden of other people. When I've got a burden, you carry the burden with me. Likewise, when we've got battles, we get under the right side and under the left side. 
and we hold up each other's arms until the battle is over. Now, there are three other reasons all your family members are not born again. Let me give them to you. Jesus tells us why. He says, he, Satan, has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. Spiritual blindness upon the eyes of people. Now, everybody has two sets of eyes in here. With one set of eyes, you're looking at me. You also have spiritual eyes. In God's words, your spiritual eyes are your ability to properly discern things. The ability to properly reason the information that you've received. So, there are individuals who are blinded spiritually who cannot see the truth. That's the reason they are not as yet born again. And there are people whose ears are spiritually deaf, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. And the word dull in the Greek means to be heavy or sluggish. Now, some people think in, in their drawer at home that the knife they use to, to, to cut things is dull. You can't cut through something. It's not what it's talking about. There was never a dull, dull knife in my mom's drawers because my dad, uh, he was a boy when he learned how to become a butcher, so every knife in that drawer was as sharp as it could be. But not, that's, not, that's not the meaning. The word dull here means ears blocked with wax. If you've ever had an ear blocked with wax, you can't hear high-pitched sounds. So you need to go get your ears cleaned out, and you'll be amazed at what it does for your hearing. You will hear the details. There'll be clarity. So the word says that there are people dull of hearing. You have two sets of ears. The ones on your head with which you hear me preach. You also have a set of ears connected to the spiritual eyes of your understanding. Meaning there are people who hear a message and say, I don't believe that. They hear a message and say, that's not the way I believe. <laughs> they hear a message and say, I don't accept that. That's what Jesus was talking about. Blinded eyes and dull of hearing. Some are not born again. And it correlates with the previous two having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Understanding being darkened. There are three things located in the Proverbs that Solomon describes related to understanding. And Solomon wrote about knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Those are the three pinions of all of Solomon's wisdom and writing. He writes about knowledge. He writes about understanding and wisdom. Knowledge is the accumulation of information, accumulation of facts. You acquire knowledge from reading books, listening to a professor, sitting under a teacher, but you must move from knowledge to understanding. Understanding is, now, is knowing how to arrange that information, arrange the facts that you hear in order. So to speak about farming... You don't go to school to become an auto mechanic, right? You don't. If you want to become a physician, you don't go to college to become a pastry chef. You have to be able to bring into focus order to your knowledge. Then there is wisdom. Wisdom is knowing how to apply the facts. And here's what's missing in many in Sacramento and a whole lot in Washington, D.C., 
It's called wisdom. Because there are many who are educated and they've got knowledge. There are many who have understanding because they know how it works. And they've spent a lifetime figuring out how it works. But what's lacking is wisdom. Because when you have gas prices at $4 a gallon, you start pumping oil and refining it. Right? You don't shut down the ability of the American people to drill for oil in their own land. You can create 700,000 jobs by simply opening the oil fields in the Dakotas, in Alaska, and off the coast of California. But they don't have wisdom, even though they have understanding of how things work. So when there's a recession going on, understanding says, we need more revenue, so raise taxes. But wisdom says, you don't raise taxes on anyone when small businesses are not hiring. I just need to run for president and get this mess fixed. You know? Okay? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to appoint Marcus Morton as my, my, my campaign manager. Okay, just kidding. Just kidding. Relax. I'm just kidding. All I'm interested in is when the chief pastor says to me, well done, son. Yeah, you have those with knowledge from Stanford and Harvard. And they have understanding of how to put things together. But wisdom is the ability to take and apply the knowledge so things work out well for people. And there are the Greek words for understanding. Jesus, are you also still without understanding, he said. And it means an unintelligent person. Okay? And then he says, and to love him, God, with all your heart, with all the understanding. And that means mentally putting the facts together. And he opened, Jesus opened their understanding, and it means mind using intellect to make proper decisions. In 1 Corinthians, brethren, do not be children in understanding. In other words, mature, grow up, don't be a child in your understanding. Here it means the cognitive faculties that create emotions or feelings. So understanding in the word is more than just saying, I get it. It has to do with emotion, intellect, to reason. So your loved ones may not be born again, not just because they don't want to be in a crowd or due to some neurological condition, not just because of a financial challenge or some hang-up about how they look and appear physically with their clothes. There are some like that. Okay, there are. And, and we go to them. But your loved ones are not born again because of dullness of ears, eyes spiritually blind, and what the Word calls unbelief. And when a person is in unbelief, it's the opposite of faith. You cannot be born again unless you believe. You cannot receive any spiritual blessing dwelling in unbelief. And that's how serious unbelief is in the eyes of God, especially, especially among his own children. It's like the testimony of the person in the hospital in critical condition. And the angel of the Lord appeared to her and began to speak to her in a very difficult physical situation and said, you are where you are because you have offended God. And she was shocked and said, how have I offended God? You have offended God with your mouth, saying there are no supernatural interventions. Your words have offended God because I heard you say there is no supernatural power with God. 
And she became fearful that she was going to die like this. So she began to repent. She began to weep and ask God to forgive her. And as a result of that, forgiveness came healing. And all of a sudden, she's, wow, back out serving the Lord. Listen, when an angel shows up and rebukes you, it'll change your life. Well, pastor, you better be able to back that up from God's word. I'm happy to do that. Exodus, behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. Oh, okay. All right. And then he says, listen, do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin. Do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin, nor say before the messenger of God that it was an error. Why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your hands? For in the multitude of dreams and many words there is also vanity, but fear God. So it clearly teaches us that the angel of the Lord can be offended by our sinning, by the words that we speak. Because when you look in the book of Acts, Peter is released from prison by whom? The angel of the Lord came and popped open his shackles, opened the prison doors, gets him out of layer after layer layer of that prison, and gets him escorted outside the city gates. So when Peter reaches the house church, where everybody's gathered worshiping and praying for him, asking God to have mercy on Peter, he shows up. They didn't believe it was him. And they were praying, God, be with Peter. God, help Peter. God, take care of Peter. Oh, Peter's... So the girl runs to the door and looks. And so they said, it's his angel. It's not him. It's his angel. So that verse indicates that believers have an angel that will accompany you. I don't know if they're present at all times or not. I tend to believe they are, but there are guardian angels. So be careful what you say. Why? Because it's a serious spiritual impact. When you start opening your mouth and the angel of the Lord is taking notes. Really? You really said that? Really? Now in closing, you might have a loved one who's been hurt in the past by a church or by ministry, and that's one of the great reasons in America why people refuse to go back to church when they've spent many of their years in the church. So they stay home and they watch Christian TV. Or they have their own little moment of prayer. And you can't get them to come back to church. Understand what Jesus said and communicate it to your family members. For offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. So don't allow yourself to be offended. Because there are those who may offend you. Be alert to that. It's going to happen. And don't get yourself in a snit because somebody offends you. If they do that with malice, the word says God will judge them. So leave that with the Lord and you serve him. Serve him. Love him. Honor him. Judgment belongs to God. I know people because of an offense, sometimes it was intentional But most of the time, it's unintentional. They leave their church and don't return for decades. Now, who do you think lost the most when that happens? 
Well, for, for, first of all, everybody loses. Everybody. But who loses the most? The one who's embraced the offense becomes bitter. Then Satan uses it and neutralizes them. They can't make any impact. And then the whole body suffers. Do people, do you leave your job just because somebody offends you? Every, do you leave every time somebody? You know, I'm going back to work here because somebody said something to me. You know what you do? Have fun trying to get a next one. Say how long that lasts if you keep doing that. Do you walk out on your family just because someone in your family does something and unintentionally offends you? You walk away and say, oh. see how long that works. And why in the world would you leave your eternal family? This is the most important one of all. Just because somebody unintentionally offended you. So you pray daily for those members of your family who have been offended and won't come to church. Lord, bring so-and-so back to you. A person harboring offenses and bitterness is harder to get to Jesus than a walled city. So how do you deal with that, pastor? You keep praying and you keep praying for them and you love them. You say, Lord, whatever you have to do to bring them to yourself, do it. Because I, I don't know where to go with this. You do. And God will warn you before something happens to that loved one so that you can intensify your prayers. And you press in and you pray in the Spirit and ask God to intervene and always ask God to show mercy. Amen? So instead of being killed in a car wreck or dying prematurely, God pulls them out in a last-minute save. That's the way God works. He does that for your sake because you stood in the gap for them and prayed. And then God softens the hardness of that heart. And now, once again, they're reachable. Some have lived years with broken fellowship because they received into their spirit an offense. And they could die and go to hell like that. Don't allow the devil to rob you spiritually because of an offense. Maybe you were abused as a child and you're still angry as an adult. And those who created that intentional offense, listen, they often live with guilt and torment over it. They're fearful. They need healing too. And healing needs to come into the lives of those who've been offended. And the anger and the bitterness, listen, will cost them everything, even their eternity. So, one, don't carry an offense. Two, pray for your loved ones who do, lest they be lost. And they will come back to Jesus because of your prayers. And first of all, if you have a loved one unsaved, discover the root as to what is holding them back. Discover it. The Holy Spirit will reveal it. It could be, it could be offenses. It could be neurological. It could be because they're blinded spiritually. And once you discover the root, then spiritually attack the root. You don't attack them. You attack the root. And how do you do that? You fast. You pray. You bring down that stronghold because you have, you have what, you, listen, what you have at your disposal is mighty through God to the tearing down of strongholds. And it's mightier than whatever the devil is using to hold them. You fast and you pray until the stronghold comes down. And then you speak with them about the word and your own testimony. Never cease to pray for your loved one who is away from the Lord. 
You will grow weary when you pray and pray and pray and nothing seems to ever happen. You'll grow tired, but you don't quit. It may take years, but the reward is worth all of your investment. You sit at the table of the Lord one day and you look around and you know every one of your family members is there. Wow. I'm grateful I can be in a church like ours and pastor a church like this and be in a place where I came to know the Lord at an early age and I'm still serving the Lord today and in his presence. And no matter what struggles you go through and everybody's going to go through them, born again and not born again, the difference is I've got somebody with me who will never leave me alone and I will always get through them with his help. And I'm grateful for the privilege of being a part of a family that enables that in me and supports that in me. Amen? That's what the body of Christ is here to do. And to get the mission of Jesus outside these walls into the community and into the hearts of people. Because we were just doing a study the other day at staff. And the generations being born today into families who have never darkened the door of a church in America is frightening to look at those stats. It's astounding. It never happened before in our history that this high of a percentage of people being born today are being born into families in America who have never darkened the door of a church. Godless. We have our own mission field right here. And we have a directive to go into it and bring the love, the good news of Jesus. I'm grateful for the privilege of doing that and I'm more invigorated about doing it today than I've ever been in my life. So let's stand and thank the Lord, everybody. What a privilege we have. What an honor we have. Thank God you're here in church and you're able to worship the Lord.